Hi, this is Better Read Than Dead, a literature podcast from a left perspective. I'm Tristan. I'm Katie. And Megan, our dear friend and esteemed co-host, is on maternity leave. So we'll be talking about Hamlet today, but first we wanted to let our listeners know a little bit more about Megan's leave um, and what that means about what we'll be doing on the show and about our podcast schedule for the next few months. If you listen to our very popular Rosemary's Baby episode, Megan's maternity leave should come as no surprise. We had hoped to be able to record a few more episodes before that happened. Uh, I know we've mentioned Rob Roy and Native Son, but uh, we were maybe a little too ambitious about being able to do that. However, we do have a good plan in place for what to do while Meg's off. So basically what this means is that your favorite leftist literature podcast will be hosted by just Katie and me for a little while. Um, Sometime this winter, uh, Megan will be back, um, and then we'll be bringing you Rob Roy and Native Son along with a lot of other great stuff. We'll definitely be doing Moby Dick at some point. We've been talking recently about James Baldwin, um, all kinds of commie novels from the early 20th century that I I love to talk about. Hell Um, yeah. And the second thing we wanted to mention is that we had been planning to go on break from mid-December until mid-January anyway. Um, For one thing, all three of us have full-time jobs, um, and sometimes we need to read the stuff uh, that (laughs) we're going to be talking about on the show and need time for that. And we've also heard that some of you are actually reading the books we talk about, too, um, which is weird. I mean, we we, we give you guys plot summaries. You don't have to do that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, but, you know, we actually are really touched that you are, some of you are doing that. And hey, if you're so inclined and need some time to do catch up, uh, here you go. And hey, look, it's called vacation. Um, you know, you guys are all supposed to be commies like us. So I really hope you're not thinking about neoliberal productivity shaming us right now. Um, I'm kidding, of course. I, I know none of you guys are neoliberals or you would not be listening to our show. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> so we're still going to come back from break in mid-January. Um, but Katie and I are going to start that break a little earlier. Today, we again have our Hamlet episode. Next week, we'll be le- releasing our Christmas Carol episode. And then we'll see you guys in January um, when Katie and I will be kicking off our new season with iClaudius. So with that, today we are talking about the tragedy of Hamlet, Prince of Denmark, which is William Shakespeare's 1600-ish, there's some confusion, it's like uh, 1599 or 1602, play about a Danish prince uh, with mommy and daddy issues, um, which is kind of fair. I mean, his uncle did murder his dad and then his mom married the uncle like a few weeks later. Uh, which does sort of seem messed up now that we say that. <laughs> yes, at the tender when a child is at the the tender age of thirty, things like this in the home really can be upsetting to their development. Indeed, or if the child is forty six years old, as Kenneth Branagh is in that ridiculous version, which uh, which I just rewatched because it is it is delightfully absurd. Um, but yeah, forty six year old fail son with all kinds of mommy daddy issues (laughs) peter pan paging peter pan indeed um so uh why hamlet katie oh why hamlet why hamlet it's a funny story so this is a little bit embarrassing just because you know like involved in a literature podcast but i had no fucking clue that hamlet was shakespeare (laughs) i just thought it was that ethan hawk movie from the year 2000 (laughs) crazy Uh. yeah so it turns out that there's an original version and i've now i've read it i've i've educated myself i'm gonna do better 
but you know, I kind of am left walking away from this from this fail son play a little bit disappointed because I feel that the Ethan Hawke version is actually superior to what <laughs> what William Shakespeare has achieved with his old ass play. Um, and I just want to take this time to say a little something about that. Number one, first thing and most important thing is that in the movie, Hamlet wears yellow sunglasses, a Bono style sunglasses, a beanie and a blazer. And he is an amateur filmmaker uh, who runs around at various times with a handy cam and a gun, just like kind of yelling. <laughs> and that is what I like to see out of Hamlet. This shit in the play. No, thank you. He does not have the fail sun uniform on. It's not right. The second is that in the movie, the to be or not to be speech takes place in its correct location. Blockbuster video. <laughs> That's where it belongs. It is a 2000 film, right? It's like, what the fuck is blockbuster video? <laughs> <laughs> it is like, yeah, it's deeply 2000 film. The third thing is that in the 2000 version, Ophelia wears the biggest pants. They're real parachutes. They're not just parachute pants. They're <laughs> they're so big. And when she's like cool, sexy Ophelia, she has on Jinko jeans <laughs> that like that kind of reveal the underwear band. But when she becomes unhinged, she wears those big, big parachute pants inside out and backwards <laughs> to signify that she is un- unwell. <laughs> Um, and the fourth thing is that Hamlet, even though he's a prince, he flies commercial. <laughs> he flies commercial. First class, but still, it's man of the people energy a true that we prole. don't get in Shakespeare's version. A true prole. <laughs> I have to say, that that version does sound much um, more interesting than the Kenneth Branagh version, Jesus Christ. If you haven't seen it, um, it is four hours long because uh, a KB cut absolutely nothing. Um, again, he is 46 years old. He has a ridiculous blonde dye job because, oh, he's Danish. And that's how we signify that. <laughs> and it's like, it's said, I mean, partially, okay. So, I mean, full disclosure, because I am a huge dork uh, about the 18th, 19th century, I do kind of like the staging of it, but it's like this lush, like Napoleonic setting. Like that's what the costumes and everything are. And it's, uh, it is KB at his absolutely most arrogant, pompous ass. <laughs> like, <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I, I, you know, I, I love this play. Um, and I think that it has both some of the most amazing writing in English, you know, all that, oh, that this too, too sullied flesh would melt and the undiscovered country from whose board no traveler returns. Um, and alas, poor Yurik, I knew him Horatio, which is uh, sort of a weird speech, but, but it's, it's great. I mean, it's, it's so much of it is beautiful. The soliloquies are, you know, as, as infuriating as they could sometimes be, they, they really are kind of beautifully written. But it is also wildly fucking incoherent um, in ways that I've always felt fascinating at a little bat baffling. Um, you know, as I said, if you stage this fucker in its entirety, as Branagh decided to do, it is easily four hours long. And most directors have the good sense to cut it down to like two and a half. You know, how do you edit? We're doing four hour podcasts now. We're, we're leaving <laughs> yeah, everything. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, come on. Um, and and, and uh, usually I think that actually that those editing decisions make it a better uh, narrative. Um, 
And, you know, just like so much, like, what the fuck is the bit where Hamlet gets kidnapped by pirates? Polonius, uh, who is who is uh, the king's sort of like toady, uh, he has this big chuck of his seed where he's telling his servant to go spread rumors that that his son Laertes, like, well, he fucks, but not too much. And like, you know, he drinks, but he's not he's not out of control. Basically, to give his son cool cred, it's like, I don't why. Why do we even care about any of this? Uh, <laughs> Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, hilarious, but who the fuck are they? Right? Oh my God, this is my favorite goddamn part of this whole thing. It is great. Actually, I would not cut, and I no one really does cut Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, but there's just a lot of weird extraneous subplots. And yeah, so 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 Billy S uh, needed an editor, and uh, that is kind of sort of uncharacteristic, I think, for Shakespeare. Like, um, you know, in the in the 18th century, there's all this griping about how he shits all over Aristotle's unities of drama. So, like Aristotle and you know ancient Greece had this. Um, these, this idea that, that, uh, that drama should be fairly contained. So it should take place, uh, time, uh, time, place and action. So it should have like one setting, basically it should take place within one 24 hour period and it should basically have one main act that's driving it. Um, and Shakespeare never paid any attention to that. Um, but which, and those are kind of like obviously ridiculously too confined versions of what, uh, what drama could be he'd still he wrote pretty tight and compelling plots except this one <laughs> so you know like like why um you know it's 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 meditative and disturbing as hell and, and i'm into that um and like one fun thing about this is like I, I am into the early modern period but i'm totally a novice with it um i don't know it nearly well enough to just start historicizing in the way that i'm always tempted to do with my my 18th and 19th century dork fixations um, so I get to just kind of relax and hey, psychoanalysis, uh, gender, sure, let's think about all of that. The incest, great, cool. Um, so this <laughs> this will be a fun <laughs> this will be a fun conversation. So today we're going to be talking about the differences in how you interpret a work of drama versus the uh, the novel. We're going to be talking some about the weird moral economy of of Hamlet, both that the character wants to do and that the play wants to do. The play's very fraught and often fucked up sexual politics. And we'll also be talking a little bit about the goofy play within a play device that, that Katie mentions. So Katie uh, is the, also not an early modernist, but she is the, 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 the one of this duo who is pretending to be an early modernist today. Um, <laughs> Katie, Katie would, you, would, you, would you like to give us the summary of, uh, of Hamlet for those who uh, need, need a refresher? Yes, if you couldn't tell from my Hamlet 2000 at the beginning, I am taking on the 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 true, you know, the I'm becoming the early modernist. <laughs> so from that from that perspective, I'd like to give you the summary. So, hold on to your hats because <laughs> here comes the summary of Hamlet by William Shakespeare. In the 1999 film South Park, bigger, longer and uncut a cast of round cartoons sing the song Uncle Fucker, which includes the lyrics, shut your fucking face, Uncle Fucker. You're the one that fucked your uncle, Uncle Fucker. You don't eat or sleep or mow the lawn. You just fuck your uncle all day long. <laughs> so as you're pondering that, also ponder, what if it were not you who had fucked your uncle, but your very own mother? A mother fucker, uncle fucker, father cucker scenario <laughs> indeed and this is the plot of william shakespeare's tragedy of the og fail son fuck boy legend hamlet 
<laughs> so little prince fancy lad cannot abide his mother getting smashed by his uncle which is fair however he handles that with a series of absurd revenge schemes and self-owns <laughs> that take place over like what you have said you know it's like a four-hour play and yeah. all he does is like just fuck up constantly yeah and so many of it's like oh i want to do this revenge scheme but can i really do it i don't know <laughs> no you can't because you suck but if if Shakespeare had t- taken out the hemming and hawing of the fuckboy legend, we could have gotten through this in a f- snappy twenty five minutes. Oh, totally. No, I, my my mom my mom loves this play, but I I, I remember when well, actually when I was a little kid. Or I'm sorry, no, my mom loves Shakespeare and hates this play. And I remember when oh. I was a kid, her telling me he's like, like no, he won't fucking do anything. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and then I read, it's like I'm kind of into the fact that he can't do anything. But anyway. I, I get what my mom's saying. <laughs> it's basically that that Ben Stiller movie. Like I think it was called Greenberg. Yes, where it's it's, <laughs> it's just basically like a guy who can't do anything, and I think like Greta Gerwig wants to fuck him because of that. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a great one. That's fucking Hamlet. Mm-hmm. As a South Park. As, yes, and so to get to get back to the the William Shakespeare Hamlet, we're veer, we're taking a left away from South Park and uh, Ben Stiller, and we're we're going back to Hamlet. So the whole thing starts when Hamlet's dad, who's also named Hamlet, nothing to see here, moving right along, <laughs> gets murdered by his brother Claudius, who pours poison into his ear while he's napping. And bada bing, bada boom, he's dead as fuck. And Uncle Claudius has made himself right at home, taking all the good food out of the fridge and uh, fucking Hamlet Sr.'s wife. So Ghost Dad, which is also the name of a 1990 Bill Cosby movie, Uh appears to Hamlet and says, Hello, son. I'm a ghost. Your shitty uncle did murder to me. And that was unfortunate because I died with all my sins still on my head. And I could tell you some shit now. It would make your balls just retract up into your body about what the afterlife is like, but it won't say a thing. (laughs) So Hamlet is real worked up about this, and he's like, okay, here's my plan. I'm going to do law and order, don't fuck my mom squad, and I am the detective. And I'm going to catch my uncle by putting on a play about an uncle who kills a king and fucks my mom. I mean the queen. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so so in Hamlet's galaxy brain, this is going to work because he's like to his friend, hey, uh, let's look at let's look at my uncle while I show the uncle fucker play. And if he looks uncomfortable, then he did it. I mean, brilliant plan. Like, how could it fail? <laughs> but the weirdest part is it actually kind of works uh-huh. because, because Claudius, the uncle, after the play, uh, basically stands up. And reads a selection from O.J. Simpson's classic work of total fiction, If I Did It. <laughs> right, yeah. That's like his thing. He does like an ambiguous, I, I did it, I didn't fucking do it. Thing. Totally. I, I just interject. I, I, every time I read this play it or see it staged, it does seem like Hamlet is much, much madder about the, his uncle and his mom boning than he is about his dad having gotten poisoned. Like, he's not cool with that, yes. but it's definitely, it's like, but but then my mom and my uncle fucked. Like, yeah, that that's what really. <laughs> he can't deal with no that's the crime yeah. like if we yeah we barely talk about well because you know the dad's still kind of around yeah right <laughs> yes <laughs> in this weird morose goes if ever the, the, the idea father loved avenged myself on this uncle fucking mother of yours, <laughs> <right>? like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, pretty much 
pretty much. Yeah, that's how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this play is goofy as fuck. Like I just like even just going back it over is. it, it's just like holy shit. Yeah. Um. So Hamlet thinks the same thing the rest of us do after after he gets the like the ghost visit from creepy dad and and we do the OJ Simpson if I did it thing. And so he's like, okay, so I know, I know that what I think happened, I know this ghost is not fucking with me. So what I have to do is kill my uncle by just kind of stabbing around and never getting visual confirmation of who I am stabbing <laughs> while I give my mother a lecture about keeping an aspirin between her knees at all times. And then, whoops, I accidentally killed my girlfriend's dad. Yep. <laughs> Crazy. Yep. Old Polonius. Old Polonius. Got owned real, real hard there. <laughs> <laughs> as hard as you possibly can get owned, he did. Um, but uh, but I like to think of it more as like from Hamlet's perspective. Like he just kind of did an oopsie and we should all understand that. Well, I mean, Things have just, been really tough for him. Look, if you hear something, just start stabbing at it, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I, I answer the door and I just start stabbing. Yep. And it's been, you know, it's been the DoorDash guy several times and they won't send anyone else back to my house. But <laughs> we live with it. It's okay. So after that happens... Hamlet kind of like noodles away to the special farm upstate where parents send their fail sons when they accidentally kill the girlfriend's dads, which what that means is that Uncle Big Dick sent him away with his his pals Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, who have a note that says, let's cut off Hamlet's head. <laughs> but Hamlet outwits them basically by erasing Hamlet and writing in Rosencrantz and Guildenstern into the stabbing, into the stabbing line of the order. <laughs> Or the head cutting off line. <laughs> uh. So with that little ridiculousness kind of wrapped, Hamlet goes back to Denmark because Fortinbras is being like, who we've never heard of, never heard of him before. <laughs> never in my life. Okay. So we just hear that he's being super, super alpha and like claiming territories. And Hamlet is like, I got to go back and be, be a, like a big dick alpha guy. And so when he gets back, he finds that Ophelia has drowned herself and that her brother... Laertes is like, I challenge thine ass to a duel, Hamlet, because you've been a real dickhead. <laughs> and, of, and of course, this shit's a trap. He's going to use a poisoned blade. The plot was orchestrated by the uncle who, and I cannot stress this enough, is fucking Hamlet's mom. <laughs> There's also poisoned wine at this duel. As all the duels I put on, one cup's poison mm -hmm. wine. So the TLDR for the end of this thing is that Gertrude, the mom, who's fucking the uncle, drinks the poisoned wine. Laertes, Ophelia's brother, stabs Hamlet with the poison's blade. But then Hamlet stabs him back, <laughs> flips it and reverses it. And then he makes his uncle drink the poisoned wine and stabs him. And then Fortinbras comes in, steps over everyone's fucking guts and is like, I am the king now. And it appears everyone else has had a ketchup fight and taken a nap, so I'll be in charge now. <laughs> but then in the midst of this also, we hear the news, of course, that everyone has been waiting for. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Yep. Yep. Sleep well, sweet fail son. R.I.P. Hamlet. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. Uh, no, that that's it. I don't know why I said this was an incoherent plot at all. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, this is... 
And I know, I know what, well, I, yeah, I think we'll probably talk more about the Fortin Brass element, but it is like, so there's this one throwaway line or, or a very short bit of a scene early in the play when like this ambassador comes back to the court and he tells Claudius, he's like, I've been to Norway and Norway knew Fortin Brass, who you're like, wait, who the fuck is this? Like it was going to invade, but the king of Norway's like, no, dude, don't invade. And Fortin Brass, like, fine. That's totally dropped. Then there's this scene. I think it's act four. Hamlet's just like wandering around in the snow being like, you know, sad and weird. And um, he sees Fortinbras' army and he goes, he's like, uh, hmm, that's a big army you got there. And they're like, oh, dude, no, we're not invading. We're, we're totally going to invade Poland. And Hamlet's like, oh, OK, cool. <laughs> and then like, <laughs> At the end of the play, no shit. It turns out they were invading Denmark. And it's like, but none of this is like connected to the main plot in any kind of real way. <laughs> There's just like another play that just kind of comes in and like sneaks in and it's about some fucking dude like riding his horsies yeah, all around. Totally. Um, and, and I mean, I actually think there are, you know, sort of like smart things that you, we can say about like what that's doing thematically, but it is, it is just a very strange like kind of plot device. No, it is weirder shit. And the thing is that until you mentioned it, I just sort of accepted it. Yeah, like yeah. I was so wrapped up in like the other weird shit that I was like, oh yeah, that really just like don't get anything from that. It comes out of nowhere. Totally. Okay, so um, would you like to give us some some context? And I'm, uh, you know, much as like when I pretend to be a Victorianist, I'm 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 thrilled to <laughs> to figure out how you as a not as a not early modernist are going to are going to 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 construct this. Well, keep your keep your expectations very low just keep them real low to the ground keep them keep them real real low keep them like the end of hamlet just just dead or dying you know <laughs> so for some context shakespeare wrote like a metric a fuck ton of plays 37 plays some of them were like henry parts one through 11 million um <laughs> but he he was doing this all between uh like around all the dates are kind of fuzzy but around 1590 to 1613 and um so these are the comedies the histories and the tragedies and hamlet of course is one of the comedies mm. uh, as you can tell from our <laughs> discussion um the other way that people split up shakespeare is the elizabethan era and the jacobean era mm. and so this is an elizabethan play this is one of his elizabethan plays so elizabeth so hamlet's like there's some question but it's like around 1600 mm. or at least it's before 1603 when elizabeth died mm -hmm. so just to kind of situate this with the other plays so we've got romeo and juliet around 1595 and then we have in between a midsummer night's dream also like that same year probably and then 12th night and then hamlet um in like 1600 1601 could be anything mm -hmm. then we've got othello and king lear and Macbeth. And then we have my favorite of all time Shakespeare play, uh, Coriolanus in 1607. It's my favorite because it has the word anus at the end, just right <laughs> in the title. Is, is that really your favorite Shakespeare play? I haven't read it, is why I ask. No, it's not. It's uh, not. It's just my favorite one to take places. Okay, gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> just, I, it's just because of the anus. It's like, why do people get cats? Because their assholes are out all the time. Yeah, no, that's why that, do you care? That's cat? why I have cats, totally. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, totally. So that's kind of where this, this play uh, shows up. And so this is like pretty close to when Elizabeth died. And some of the anxiety in the play around 
uh, a woman, a woman of advanced years fucking and such <laughs> uh, may be related to that. There's this famous letter from around the time that Hamlet was written from a French ambassador that the substance of it was mostly that I am flabbergasted that the queen is old as fuck and still put her tits out. (laughs) Yeah. So that's kind of where we are. And uh, apart from that, we have, so we have relatedly these, like all these anxieties about what's going to happen to England when Elizabeth dies. She doesn't have kids. She's not married. It's like, oh, is she going to marry some, you know, German turd and fuck us all over? No, she didn't do that. So now we have to like figure out what to do next. And thankfully, there were a lot of Jameses lying around. And so we way up in Scotland, (laughs) her cousin, James James the sixth, who actually apparently by historical descriptions, it would be more like, I'm James the sixth. I mean, he he kind of was like a very, yeah, he's a he's sort of a a, a kind of python-esque character in his own right <laughs> but was he was he a squeaky toy for the bath yeah no he that actually yes i mean i have heard that his his voice was described by contemporaries as being quite squeaky <laughs> <laughs> i love it yeah long live the king yeah. he's dead yes but. quite dead he's <laughs> <laughs> very dead couldn't be deader yeah. So we so we've got all this anxiety and then in the midst of this we have this Hamlet that comes out Shakespeare drops Hamlet and it's all about this like it's all about this anxiety about succession and sex and and also like an eye for an eye blood feud justice and that revenge thing and so that was something that people were sort of trying to work out at the time in this Francis Bacon, who's like a little earlier than Shakespeare, had a lot of interesting shit to say about this. The most famous thing he had to say about it was that revenge is a kind of wild justice, which the more man's nature run to, the more ought law to weed it out. So he sets up this thing where it's like desire for revenge and law as the kind of buffer against that. But then he also says sort of he like gets he, he gets to the end of his meditation on this and he says well actually you know it's private revenge that's bad but public revenge is actually like maybe are kind of good so he says public revenges are for the most part fortunate as that for the death of caesar uh the death of henry the third and many more but for private revenges it's not so and so this play really crystallizes that distinction that he's that he's making there which is that we're in an era where where kings and queens are ruling by divine right so the sovereign is a representative of god and chosen by god and the tutors um elizabeth's family were also trying to like just kind of grab play grab ass with power as much as they possibly could and so there's a different significance to the events of the play because it's like Okay, so is the reason why Hamlet makes these harebrained revenge schemes because he's actually not doing the good kind of revenge that a prince should be doing? Or is uh, he so he's doing private revenge? Like, like Tristan, you were saying this, he's pissed that his mom's getting fucked by his uncle. So he like <laughs> wants to go on a revenge thing. And he's not like pissed the king has been murdered. Right. That's kind of um, that's just a, a snippet of the of what's going on for Shakespeare when he's writing this play. It's also an adaptation that was written like there are like eight bajillion fucking Hamlets. And it's, it's just like, it's an old, as all my favorite stories are, it's an old Dutch or Norwegian or something 
and then I picked up at Ikea play about a prince and then it gets free adapted and adapted. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so you can just kind of, you just kind of plug and play, use it for anything. Yeah. Cool. No, but uh, well, first of all, um, actually, th- thank you for that. Uh, you were much more convincing early, early modernist than I feel like I am when I pretend to be Victorianist. Um, and, <laughs> Don't sell yourself short. <laughs> but uh, no, like I that so that the uh, keeping in mind the political context around the Tudors and specifically Elizabeth does help a little bit to kind of make sense of what this like weird Fortinbras uh, structure is like the kind of the constant uncertainty me about like who's like is there going to be a power vacuum and who's going to fill it as well as you said the kind of like the very gendered and sort of misogynistic fears about like yeah a woman who like who's who's old and is still having uh is still having sex and having sex outside of like sort of prescribed boundaries um and and like the 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 two yeah i mean uh, well for one thing that royal houses in in english history changed with uh, I, I don't want to make some big claim that like oh like no other european country went through as 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 many but it it is kind of notable just how many different royal houses like uh you know held the throne um in the period before the uh, you know the the united kingdom was uh or the before great britain and then the united kingdom were formed in the 18th century out of the constituent countries but um yeah like i mean the the, the two Tudors, right? Like, I mean, the, the Tudors themselves, they got the throne out of the War of the Roses, which I, I think Richard III sort of like ends with that, right? Um, yeah. And like, they, that's, like, that one's a boring one. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? That's a real boring play. Oh, I love that play. Um, oh, really? <laughs> and, and partially I love it because um, I love the Ian McKellen version where it's set in like the 1930s. I think that that is so cool. Oh, oh no, no, no. I was thinking of a different. Uh, I might have been thinking of one of the hen. No, Richard is the one where he's um he's like a back thing. He's a thing with his yeah, back. Yeah, that's yeah, Richard. Yeah, he's a, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's the one. Um, that one's that one's good as fuck. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I it's it's actually one of my favorites. Um, but yeah, no, like the 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 Tudor the Tudor rose, like their symbol. Uh, it's like a red and white rose because they had sort of like uh, that the the those I forget which is which, but like one the red rose was was either York or Lancaster and vice versa. But they they had sort they were sort of like making this claim for themselves as like we are sort of like the synthesis and we have like put a period to this end of strife. But then of course Elizabeth is about to die without having any any children, and so it's like well, what the fuck is going to happen? Um, so I I thought that no the the historical context is. I think super helpful in figuring out what exactly it is that this play is fucked up about everything yeah. just all of it <laughs> totally. just a quick historical aside actually the thing about the red and white rose um a lot of most of the wars in that time were actually those two families arguing about who got to be the red one and who got to be the white one. Oh, really so they were like oh you got to be the red one yesterday i want to be it today and then they all took out their swords and went like pew 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 <laughs> that's where the roses yeah yeah no absolutely that's that's uh yep that's true (laughs) look it up (laughs) okay so uh yeah i mean a a few things to um that we i know we want to talk about one thing i I thought we could start with though is just um acknowledging that you know we're primarily like a novel podcast this is the first this is the first play the first drama we've looked at Sort of in English classes and, and like in literature classes, uh, there's a way in which plays get read sort of like they are novels. It's like, oh, look, there's a plot with characters and you could just read the text. 
Um, but of course, they're not that as, as any like theater person will tell you, like, I mean, adaptation means a lot to actually like sitting in the physical space where it's being performed means a lot and it's sort of integral to how it functions as a as a piece of art. Um, and, you know, as, as like a scholar of the novel, I'm kind of like, well, that's all sounds ridiculous. Who gets just the words <laughs> on the page? Um, but but I mean, it's it's not it's it's actually it's those are those are really important distinctions. Um, and, and so I think like one reason why we haven't really done much drama on this is just because, yeah, I mean, well, what would it mean to do that? Would that mean that we have to watch a lot of adaptations to do a good job with it? Would we have to go, oh, God, out into public and sit at a theater <laughs> like and watch? No, <laughs> <laughs> no it sounds terrifying. Um, but but I, but I don't know. I, it's like so I, I guess um, I just wanted to sort of acknowledge like the sort of like different kind of interpretive work, each of those sort of forms demands um uh, but i don't know maybe we should do more drama on the on, on the podcast um i think we should definitely have more drama <laughs> just like hey fuck you buddy <laughs> <laughs> no but i think that's all right i think those questions are all important and and when you're reading this it's so the thing that is kind of most uh notable i think is that when you're reading it you actually sort of you can get it you can get through hamlet in way less than four hours Mm -hmm. you can you know you can like really do a speed read not that i've ever skimmed anything in my life but you can like sort of you know you can do that but the pace is so different for something that's staged and you do have to make those decisions about what to cut and how to represent stuff and like all muppets we do an all muppet hamlet But yeah, there's like a lot, there's like a ton going on. And also just like thinking about sometimes, especially in Hamlet, the absurdity of somebody saying some of this shit. Like this is really a a son who's 30, who's like, who's like really talking a lot about like how gross it is that his mom fucks his uncle in the bed Mm -hmm. and like all this like shit that, you know, it's like, it's keeping in the inner monologue, but we can't. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. And and I think one thing, like as someone who does, you know, because you know, I work I work on and primarily teach novels, um, and spend so much time reading novels that I am always struck by when I when I venture outside that and read, you know, like drama. In that, like so much of what um, a novel accomplishes, either through you know free and direct discourse and the omniscient third person narrator, or like um, as we saw with like Ulysses, like really kind of delving into like uh, uh, an interior psychology that would could never really be expressed like in, in like verbally um, in drama, and particularly like kind of early modern drama all of that work is accomplished through speech and through dialogue, right? Like, I mean, that's what the soliloquy, right? Like, what the fuck is that? Like, no one sits in front of a mirror in, in reality. It's like, to be or not to be, right? Like, so it, so, and it's like, so like that, but that is like the kind of technology that, that, that is available to this play to do that kind of like character exposition and, and also just like to stage psychological questions that in the novel uh, would just be staged very differently. They would, they would like exist at the level of like, this is what the narrator's privy to, or, um, uh, or, you know, it just, it, it just wouldn't have quite that form. Um, and, and it's, it's just, it's just, it's a really kind of striking difference when you, when you have been reading a lot of novels to come back and look at, uh, at something of, of, of another form. Yeah, no, totally. And I'm just thinking about like what Hamlet would look like as a novel. Yeah. Uh, what would it look like? Yeah. It would look like a guy thinking a bunch. Yeah. <laughs> mostly. And then like doing sort of like like what appears to be unmotivated shit. <laughs> Maybe. I like Yeah. And the other the other thing is like so this this has a ton of like 
this play has a ghost in it very notably. And so it's like, there's no, like, I guess you could stage it with some more ambiguity about whether the ghost is for realsies, but it like in an, I don't know, like in a novel, would you have to make a decision? Would you have to make a decision or would you like how, how, how do ghosts work in books? Yeah. I don't know. No, that, I think that's a, I think that's a great question. And that is a question I always have about this ghost. Like, is it, is it supposed to be real or not? I, I kind of suspect that it is because um just, it's not, I mean, Hamlet is the one that actually talks to it, but it's like, you know, the soldiers have kind of seen it and stuff. Yeah. I, it's good information. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, but yeah, like what, what, what would James Joyce do with this story if he were to, if he were to write it or, you know, what, <laughs> what would, uh, what, what would Defoe do or, uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's a great question. Um, yeah. And no, I, I don't know. I just, I, I did kind of like, just want to sort of stage that as like, yeah, this is, this is a little bit outside of our typical wheelhouse. Um, and, and also just, you know, I think it's important to, 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 ref- I think it's important to not do, try to do the exact same kind of interpretive work, uh, across like forms and genres without thinking about what those formal and generic divisions mean, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. I definitely I'm guilty of of doing that for sure, which is which is part of the reason for watching the Ethan Hawke monstrosity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, it is it is super important to to read it this way because there is because it's so like it's very people say this all the time, but it's like it's it is very invested in the psychology. Yes. So that makes it easy to to read it like a novel and read this as like inner monologue and do like that stuff. Um, Yeah. No, I mean, that's a great point because like, you know, so much of the discourse around the novel is exactly that. Like, well, what it does really well is like, you know, the interior psychology of a character. And it's like, yeah, but you know what? There's like, you know, 500 years of, uh, is it 500, 400 years of of criticism on this particular play showing that like, no, this, this is a work of drama that accomplishes a lot of the same sort of things that we tend to think about as being um, novelistic. Yeah, no, most definitely. Um, okay, so uh, a, a lot of stuff we could talk about, um, and and I think um, Katie, when we were talking about earlier, you you, you uh, raised this sort of like very weird sort of spiritual and, and moral economy of the play, uh, j- just the way stuff either gets like worked out, or there's this idea that something can be balanced, even stuff like okay, so. Hamlet senior was killed with all his sins still on his conscious because it conscious because he hadn't been to confession and like, how do you make that sort of ever right? Um, but, but there's a ton of ways that, 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 that plays out. So it's just, I don't know. I mean, is there, is there like a particular scene or like a particular uh, access point for that, for that question that, that, um, that you want to point us to? I think that one place is when Hamlet is so he he gets a surprise party but it's a funeral actually when he comes back he's like oh shit uh ophelia who is his girlfriend who he's been being a giant dick to he so he dies and his brother is pissed at him and hamlet's response to the brother is you were just her brother but i wanted to fuck her so i have quantifiably more grief than you do about this yes which is just like which is fucking i don't know if you have the page it's the, it's the first it's the first scene of act five right that's right where, where hamlet and uh is this is this where he, this is at the grave yeah. scene right this is like shortly after the alas uh poor yorick speech right which just by the way yep. uh because i because i know i alluded to it um so basically like this is this weird comedic interlude right like that there are two grave diggers and they're described as the clowns right like 
Mm-hmm. Um, and there they sort of start with this speech that Ophelia is being buried in a churchyard, which um, you know, with sort of legally and and kind of with with Christian belief at this time, right, Katie? Um, that if if you if if you were a victim of suicide, you were not supposed to be buried in hallowed ground because the idea was the idea was that this that suicide is an act that can't be for you can't ask forgiveness for it because you're you because you, you're no longer alive. Is, is that is that kind of the theology of it? Yeah. So the best way to yeah. So so that's exactly right. And the, so the way that they would have thought about it is that it's like self murder. Right. Yes. And and I do also want to say just in terms of like the kind of economy and balancing of scales in this. To me, this it always feels like reading Ophelia's death as a suicide is actually its own sort of like um, interpretive decision because mm-hmm. she's gone, you know, she's described as having gone mad and she flings herself into the river. And from the description of it, it's not at all clear that she did so, to me at least, with the intention of, of dying. Like it's because she's sort of like splashing around and actually seems to be like, uh, she, she's just, well one she's just not in you know as they would say her, her right mind um but it, it's like it's almost looks like it very well could have been like accident not not that she you know didn't in, intentionally in some form jump into the river but that she did so with the intention of of, of dying in the river that to me is like I, I don't think we can like glean that from the evidence the play gives us um and yet certain characters are really invested in that being the case yeah no it's it's never that that isn't ever totally clarified but um but it is like it's it just it i just feel like the play is like deliberately sort of ambiguous about it and makes it a decision of various characters that that's how they want to think about what this is no absolutely and it's also like it's another interesting way of getting it what the play is doing because it's like hamlet you know stuff about what's going on in his head because he says it mm. and you know stuff about what's going on in ophelia's head because she says it but then when she's not around to say it anymore there is that like ambiguity where people fill the space by talking. Yes, right. Yes, yeah, um, yes, and uh, yeah, sort of, and sort of how mean. Yes, how meaning gets like sort of built in talking and talking around by 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 other characters. Um, but so anyway, the, uh, the, a little bit of a, a digression, I know. Uh, but so yes, yeah, so we have the the grave diggers. Uh, they're kind they and they actually make a sort of like a, a, a sort of class conscious claim about like oh the only reason why we're buried her in the churchyard is because she's a gentlewoman if she was if she was like one of us that would not be the case um but so anyway so eventually laertes and hamlet and everyone else in the play basically arrive at the, at the gravesite um and so this is act five c1 and this is a laertes um Oh, treble woe, fall ten times double on that cursed head, whose wicked deed thy most ingenious sense deprived thee of. Hold off the earth a while till I have caught her once more in mine arms. He leaps in the grave. Now pile your dust upon the quick and dead till of this flat a mountain you have made to o'ertop old Pelion or the skyish head of blue Olympus. Hamlet. Um, what, what is he whose grief bears such an emphasis, whose phrase of sorrow conjures the wandering stars and makes them stand like wonder-wounded hearts? This is I, Hamlet the Dane. Laertes responds, the devil take thy soul, they fight. And then skipping a little bit, ha- this is what Hamlet says after they've kind of fought and been broken up. I loved Ophelia. 40,000 brothers could not with all their quantity of love make up my son. Uh, what wilt thou do for her? 
Um, right. So yeah, like this, 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 this contest of like, oh, like, no, like you have more right to be like sad about this than I do. Like, no, like the fact that I have that, you know, that my, that my, uh, relationship with her is, is sort of sexual and romantic. That means my grief is more, it, it's, it is this really weird attempt to balance these scales. I, th- yes, it totally, yeah, no, definitely. And I think that part of the thing is that that, shows you why hamlet can't do it Mm -hmm. like that that way of being or like approaching the situation makes it clear that hamlet is never going to be able to measure and rectify anything because he always he always measures everything against himself and so he's never going to be able to i mean if you didn't fucking know this by like act five then i i can't uh, I don't know what to say, but Hamlet is not going to fix shit. Like no. Hamlet is not going to be the king. He's not going to like, you know, bring bring anybody to justice. He's not going to do anything except basically what he does, which is fucking kill everyone. And like in a total shit show. Yeah. And, it, and because he he like in this very real way, he can't see beyond himself. And in the scene with the gravediggers, he's also like he's taking uh, York's skull mm-hmm. He's saying, you know, um, I I knew I knew him well. I got a lot of piggyback rides from him. Yeah. I kissed his lips, you know, like all this stuff. Um, and he has some moments of being like, "Oh, this skull could be." He's like throwing the skulls around, and he's like, "Oh, this one could be like a, you know, like a an important person. And this yeah. could be like a some other person." But he's like very. When it comes to someone he knows, he then can't he then can't get there. Yeah, which. Yeah, no, exactly. And, I, and also, uh, as you're, we're talking about the the, the Yorick bit, uh, this reminded me, and, and uh, this might go with that that weird sort of balancing to not being able to balance thing that we've been talking about. Um, so that, yes, alas, poor Yorick, I knew him, Horatio. It's one of the most famous speeches in this play, um, and it's one of those those moments that I pointed to as like, wow, this is some, this is really kind of beautiful language. Um, it's written in prose and not blank verse. Um, and from the little I know of like Shakespeare scholarship. Um, one of the key uh, def- distinctions as you read, it's like when something is marked as important or like philosophical or theo- theological, it will be in black verse. When it's like comic relief, it's in prose. Um, and it's just striking to me that this very sort of like reflective speech uh, it does happen with the the uh, admit the, the 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 clown characters the the the, the grave diggers um but also as as you pointed out Katie like he yeah he's like throwing skulls around he's like talking like his grief is like oh yeah i used to get piggyback rides from this dude who was my dad's gesture and so it's just like okay but wait like is the is this in the same vein as the like to be or not to be and you know oh oh that this two two sullied flesh speech or is it like a very different kind of um just conceptual work being done there yeah no it's it's a good question because it's because it's sort of the thing that he's thinking about when he's doing the to be or not to be speech he's thinking about being dead and then when he encounters like the residue of what's left from a dead person he can't he's certainly not doing like to be or not to be no he's not that scene also like with the skulls and stuff it like it really tracks later as part of this like memento mori tradition where you would you like you keep a skull around or something you keep it on your desk to always remember that you'll die mm-hmm. and when hamlet gets this like this like 
great, you know, this great memento mori, you know, the skull, right? Yeah. He can't remember. He he can't remember that he'll die. He can only remember like kissing him in the piggyback rides. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I, and I don't know, like, I mean, that, that maybe that does point to like the, um, just the, the futility or maybe even absurdity of the kind of like evaluative, like and balancing work that, that Hamlet wants to do. Right. Um, and I think what you said was absolutely right. That like by act five, you're like, yeah, this dude is never going to like resolve anything. Um, and, 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 and that he is beset by his desire to like, or that he, you know, he's, he's prevented from doing so by his desire to always like to, to, to be able to make sure the scales come out just right. Um, I, I think maybe the clearest moment yeah. of that, right. Is like when there, there's a, there, uh, uh, there, this is after the play within a play uh, scene, which, which we should talk about because it is it is kind of hilarious and weird. So funny, it's so funny. <laughs> yeah, it is so funny. Um, but yeah, like so, Claudius is because uh, he's so like sort of at that moment because uh, with with guilt uh, of having of having murdered his his brother and banging his brother's wife, um, and so he's in the confession booth. And uh, or or and 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 Hamlet is there, and and Claudius doesn't know he's there, and Hamlet has a perfect opportunity to kill him, and Hamlet's like, no, I can't, because if I kill him now, then he's going to go to heaven because or his time in purgatory won't be as long because he's confessed and he didn't give my dad uh, that that sort of that that same kind of courtesy, uh, so I can't do it now. It's like, okay, dude, what the fuck, you know, like. Right. <laughs> like we have a system here. We have a system where you go to confess. So why did you go and get the opportunity yeah. if you weren't going to do anything? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, it's also like, because of course, like, of course, well, why did you go do that? Well, let's do therapy for Hamlet. Well, why did he go there? Well, obviously because it was the place he couldn't kill him. Right. You yes. know, like, cause he doesn't want to fucking do yes. it. No, that, that is. Yeah. And, and I think that's important. It, like it, it's not, um, I, I feel like there's fairly general agreement among, um, you know, smart people who read, who read Hamlet and have some really smart thoughts about it that like, it doesn't really make sense if you um, if you understand him as a character who does have like a like okay so th this is the problem and I have this clear method of action that's going to solve it because um, like a lot of things that he erects as barriers just they they are or they're not barriers in the kind of way that he seems to feel them as being barriers. So the barrier has to be something else. I think you were all right. It's like this, it's this, 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 this fear or this just otherwise like inability to transition between like feeling and thought into like some kind of like reparative action in the world. Right. Definitely. Like reparative action is not Hamlet's thing. No. That's because, because when he takes action, it's not that. No. It's not. And and also then maybe too, like as we see in the fact that these scales never balance in the way that he wants them to, that even the idea of reparative action is kind of a fantasy that is like sort of dumb, right? You know? Yeah. It's I think it's one of these things where it's not possible uh privately yes. to to do it. Yes. Like you could you can have something that's like reparative or restorative if you like replace the king you have another king it's the same exact it's all chosen by god so it's all gravy mm -hmm. but if you try to write some kind of a wrong relating to your dad and your uncle and not like the kingdom and shit you're never going to get that right and certainly not if you're hamlet 
like no. then you for sure fucking aren't no because he's just like he he's he's got a lot of fucking feelings yeah <laughs> no he does he does and 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 um yeah no i mean like that that like the the fort and brass moment right when he does come in at the end it just steps over like you know all the blood it's like oh okay i guess i'm king now and just how like out of left field that feel like i mean i do think that that probably underscores part of what we're we're talking about right that it's like that like yeah this this fantasy that hamlet has of like oh if only i could do this then like the scales would even out that like th- that that kind of like you know i mean yeah i i tend to read it as just this weird subplot that Shakespeare threw in, but maybe the, like the undevelopedness and absurdity of it is kind of part of the point. It's like, Oh, but yeah. Oh, so what, th- this is what fixes everything. How would that even work logically? You know, like this, this fixes nothing. Right. This is just, this is a, this is a random event that's not actually connected to all of the stuff that this character has been so agonizing over for, for the whole play. No. Cause like how the fuck, like he, I mean, that guy hit the jackpot. He just hit the jackpot, like just walks in and the throne is is warm and just ready for him to sit on it. Yeah, exactly. But I think also it's like he did something. Yes. Yes. He he did something. And so you never know what you'll get when you do something. But he did something like sort of it's different than Hamlet sort of like willfully stabs into the dark. And this guy like made a plan. Yeah, like he might own a suit, you know. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, Ham- Hamlet's actions are so uh, directionless, right? In a way that, like, no, Fortinbras was like, first of all, I'm going to lie to 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 my dad. I think his dad's the king of Norway, and say I'm not going to invade Denmark when I totally am. I'm going to go pretend to invade <laughs> Poland. I'm totally not, and then I'm going to fucking invade uh, invade uh, or you know take over the, the Danish palace. But oh. Oh, hey, look, these dumbasses killed each other already and I don't have to do anything. <laughs> like, it did all the work for yeah. me. <laughs> so, um, okay. That's what happens when you're not that attached. Like he, he's not so, he's not an adult who is like, so just doing what his dad says. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. No, he's, he's, he's out there. He's a alpha fort and brass, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, he can take care of business. But but I feel like we got a little bit away from Ophelia, and we haven't really talked that much about how Hamlet seems so much madder about his mom than the fact that his uncle killed his dad, right? Um, so I do like, yeah, the sexual politics of this are so fucked up, and I do feel like there is like, I mean, well, there's definitely a fairly pronounced like kind of streak of misogyny running through it. Um, one of my questions is always like, okay, but is that like Hamlet's problem that the play is figuring as such? Or is the play actually itself super anxious about like, oh, what if like women fuck people they're not supposed to? And and like, how can you actually trust any of these, any of these women? You know what I mean? Like, so I don't know. I mean, what, what, what do you think, Katie? Yeah. So it's like, so what are we supposed to do? So I think with Ophelia, so Gertrude, one of the things that gets said, uh, the mom who's fucking the uncle, gets said about her a lot is that she has almost none of the lines. Mm-hmm. Like she has almost n- nothing to say. And I think she has like, I think I read she has like 3.8% of the lines. Wow. The play. Um, so she got, she doesn't say shit basically. Ophelia though is a different story. Like she does say stuff and she says, and she says and does memorable things. Mm-hmm. So there's two things. It's like, do we think about Ophelia as a more developed character who's put in, a really bad position by being made into a a plot device 
Or do we think about her as, I don't know, like, she, I don't know that she gets us anything. Right. But she's just there. She's just, like, there walking around being a person. Whereas Gertrude, she's, like, a key. She She's, like, a plot device. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I definitely feel badder for Ophelia. Like, I mean, I do feel like Ophelia does like nothing to, to like draw like Hamlet's cruelty and ire. And it does to me very much feel like this sort of displaced, um, kind of that, you know, that he's, he's mad at his, he's mad at his, his uncle and like super mad at his mom. And so that then just gets directed in like via misogyny into, into Ophelia. And yeah, there's one moment where she, um, you know, she she's like so. Basically, uh, 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 Polonius and 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 the king are sort of using her to help spy on Hamlet because they're like, "What? Well, he seems really fucked up. Like, we we should figure get to the bottom of this." And they're like, "Oh, well, you know, he he's he's super into Ophelia. Maybe you can go talk to him." And Hamlet then just, I mean, it just like berates her. That's the famous like "get thee to a nunnery" speech, like uh, you know, and and and. But the, the thing is, it's like. I guess there's a way you could play that where like Hamlet is aware that she's being um, that she's being used by uh, by, you know, to to essentially spy on him. But I don't think that's really present in the text. I mean, when, when I just read this, it more feels to me that like, no, he's just like lashing out at her because he's mad. And like, so she's like, she's a woman who's nearby that he can, he can, he can do that with. Um, But yeah, but you are, but I, I, so yeah, so I'm not sure. I, I entirely sure how I want to read Ophelia, but I will say when you said how few lines Gertrude gets, it's like, it is incredible. And and even in the moment when Hamlet confronts her kills Polonius just by stabbing into the darkness, right? Like he, he basically, he, he has this, spe- the, these uh, several speeches about like, Oh, how could you do what you did? Like, uh, this is, this is the, the last scene of, um, of act act four. He's like, uh, you know, my uh, mother, uh, for for the love of grace, lay not that flattering unction to your soul that not your trespass, uh, but my madness speaks. They say, you're, look, you know, fuck you. You're going to say that I'm 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 nuts. Um, it will but skin and film the ulcerous uh, place, whilst rank corruption mining all within infects unseen. Confess yourself to heaven, repent what's past, avoid what is to come, and do not spread the compost on the weeds to make them ranker. Forgive me this, my virtue, for in the fatness of these Percy times, virtue itself of vice must beg pardon. Yea, curb and woo for leave to do him good. And then Gertrude responds, Oh, Hamlet, thou hast cleft my heart in twain. And, and that's it. Like, so, I mean, he, and okay, like he, you know, he's, he's a little bit bringing the very kind of like Shakespearean rhetoric there, but like she offers no real defense or justification of what she's done, which I mean, like, if she were kind of a fully realized character within the play, she should, right? I mean, she should have some kind of response to Hamlet there other than just like, oh, right, you're right. This is super fucked up what I've done. Right. But it's also like, so what is she taught? Like, so my question is, what is she talking about? Is she talking about Hamlet pressing the guilt button or is she talking about the dead guy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because it's like how there is a little bit of how fucking dare you come in and lecture me when you just stabbed a guy because you're a dumbass. Yeah, no, right, right. And that, that would actually be a really interesting way to play the scene. Um, and I think a more compelling way to play the scene, quite frankly. <laughs> Which is like, yeah, because he's talking about because um, when she says that thing, uh, you know, you've you've 
ripped my heart in half. He says, well, 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 then that's that's great. That's easy. Just take the good half and toss the other one yeah. and keep the one and throw the other away. It's like Hamlet, <laughs> you have missed the entire point of everything uh, and you and may i direct your attention to the fucking your girlfriend's dead dad who you stabbed because you're stupid yes no totally oh god in the in the brad version right like polonius's corpse i actually do think that this is kind of a like a, a, a cool and very funny moment really polonius's corpse is just lying there bleeding out like this growing puddle of blood around it and when hamlet leaves the room he's like oh shit i gotta take care of this body and so he just drags him out of the room like leaving this giant straight <laughs> and gertrude's just like what the fuck which I mean, sure. Like if you were going to take Hamlet's logic, it's like, oh, she's saying that because finally she gets. I shouldn't be banging Hamlet's uncle. But like in reality, I think she's saying, "What the fuck?" Because she's like, "You just murdered this dude, and now there's blood all over my fucking floor." <laughs> It's like, you want to talk to me about how I am getting fucked by your uncle <laughs> right now when there is a dead guy? Pardon me? Yeah, exactly. What the fuck? So in, the, in the 2000 version, um, they make sure to get a like a decently good close-up on Bill Murray's brains <laughs> just like out. <laughs> cool, cool. Polonius is such a dipshit though. Like I love his 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 line his line right when Hamlet stabs him. She's like, "Oh, I am slain," and that's it. Like, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, that's pretty much all we get. He get he gets the goofiest death, which is totally fitting for him because he he's like he's just like dollar store Ben Franklin. He's got like every like neither a borrower nor a lender be. Um. D- d- don't go out without a hat. Uh, don't if you open your umbrella indoors. It's seven years of bad fortune, <laughs> children. Yeah. And don't fuck Hamlet. I want to make that clear. Don't fuck yes. Hamlet. Yeah, totally. Um, sorry, wait, I, while we're on point, it's just one thing. This made me think of um, <clears throat> another thing that I just thought was hilarious, maybe unintentionally. So, for the Brana version, is um, first of all, everyone in their and their brother and mother are in in that version. Like Charlton Heston plays like the actor. Like Billy Crystal is one of the grave diggers. Um, but. The, the 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 servant that Polonius sends to basically go hey go make Laertes look cool, it's fucking Gerard Depardieu, and he's just, <laughs> and his only function because this is all the lives that character has is he's just sitting there like with this smirk on his face smoking a cigarette, and when Polonius is like yeah you're gonna tell people that Laertes fucks right, Depardieu is just like huh, I will my lord. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> ratatouille to me like exactly but um it's so fucking stupid hold on one second let me my idiot cat is in here let me try to (laughs) she's fine to get back to to get back to like gertrude there right yeah like hamlet is like oh like just disregard like you know rip out the bad part of your heart he's asking her to like do that scale balancing work and action that he himself is completely incapable of doing right like so yes so it's yes. like he's displacing onto his mom and like maybe to onto Ophelia as well, this like complete lack of capacity for action that he feels so beset by personally, you know, so I don't know. It's um it yeah, it, it's 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 super misogynistic. Um I remain sort of 
indeterminate as to whether like, oh, yeah, the, we're reading this as Hamlet's problem or whether it is Hamlet the play's problem. Right. And that's a good, it is a good question. It's and there's also like there's very few women in the play yeah. also just in general. It's like a real it's a real dude party, yeah. you know, it is. And so, yeah, so it's hard to know. It's like it's like we have two we have two choices yeah. here if we talk about yeah. like like women in the play and one of them doesn't say shit. No. And yeah. And, and I mean, Sha- and Shakespeare, you know, it's not like he lacks really well written and compelling and psychologically rich women characters. It's just this play happens to, you know? Yeah. No, this play's got nothing, nothing on that front. And it's also just like, I think, I think that Hamlet's supposed to be insufferable. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so so Katie, I, I know we uh, we should get to our final question soon, but I did just want to. Um, you mentioned the play within a play uh, moment, which I think is like it is f- fundamentally just like absurd and delightful, right? Like it is, it is like the kind of thing like a ten year old would be like. Here's how I'm going to solve the mystery. I'm going, you know. Um, yep. So, so yeah, what what do we think about that? Again, uh, with an actor played by Charlton fucking Heston in the <laughs> Kenneth Branagh version. <laughs> Well, the the weirdest part of it to me is that it is so clearly like Hamlet kind of does this because he's got an opportunity to because Rosencrantz and Guildenstern show up and they like kind of bring a shitload of actors around, yeah. right? They have like a I, I, I can never remember why they have uh, like a buttload of just like why this becomes possible, but the thing about it is like it just kind of falls into his lap and he's like oh i'll do like i'll do this most ridiculous thing i can i'll restage the events that i think and then i'll have my friend look at my uncle and see what's up here and then but it but it works like that's the weird part like why does it work like it's one of the only things he does that works. I know. I mean, like, part of me is like, is 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 uh is is Bill Shakespeare there doing a uh like oh you know hey hey like yeah the see see what see what plays could do like we could even solve murders you know <laughs> fund the arts yeah <laughs> if your dad ever fucks you or if your uncle ever fucks your mom then you'll be yeah. set. No, I mean it is like I don't know that. Some sort of like mimetic representation of the truth is like able to like um I don't know, is 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 able to like tell the truth or produce truth in in in, in an interesting way, or that like yeah, that, that basically like a, a faith that like e- even though people uh you know can have very strong motivations for not, you know, kind of owning their their misdeeds or for 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 burying the kind of truth of how they're like feeling responding to situations, that if you just like if you frame a narrative in the right way or if you show them the right kind of like stimuli to have an emotional response to, then you can cut through that. You can actually get at like an interior psychological, um, you know, structure or, or feeling um, if you, de- if you just deploy the right kind of narrative around it. Yeah, no, that's, that's actually like, that's really, I think that's a great way of thinking about it though. Like, yes, there you do that, you represent it and then you get somewhere, you get some, you get somewhere psychologically, you get yeah, you you like you redo the sh- you redo the whole Hamlet shit, which is like by through this because it's it just recaps the plot and mm-hmm. t- you know the, of the main problem. This is interesting because it's like okay, so you get this exactly. It's exactly right. Like you get something out of the mimetic representation of 
of the 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 problem mm-hmm. act but uh, but it's like uh, you have to wonder a little why he's so antsy to confess after mm-hmm. that um and like is it because he feels something or is it because he knows he's been discovered right cuz he starts like he starts like wiping his ass you know like he starts going to confession so he's like well i won't get fucked like if if him like like he does everything you do mm-hmm. you know yeah and, but that doesn't work either yeah yeah i don't know i mean like it's such of a we like I mean it, it's closeness to what we're led to believe like actually you know it's fair quotes happen oh god damn it cat <laughs> but like what we're led to believe actually happened in like sort of scare quotes right like um, that uh, it is so close to what is put on in the in the play within a play. Uh, what the fuck was I saying? Right. So it, it's it's like it, what happens in the play within a play is so close to what we believe actually, you know, in scare quotes happens that like how would like Claudius not be like, oh, seems like the boy done figured me out, you know, <laughs> um, but at the same time, it is also like, yeah, maybe it is just like like seeing the sort of representation of your actions. Like it's just, oh, it like necessitates this emotional response that then produces the the impetus to confess. Yeah, and there's that whole thing, like that whole murder will out thing, like that whole belief that it just will, like it'll reveal yeah. itself. And so it's like maybe he thinks that the universe is just like revealing his crime. You know, it's possible. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's right. I mean, which, which would I mean back to the question of like scale balancing? I mean, that that would be the ultimate. Right? I mean, like in a way, the like I think we may you know we're, we're very right that like Hamlet's desire to like have this moral calculus and have it all work out seems to not work. But then like, if you look at the play from a macro level, right. Then like actually like, Oh no, it, it does. Um, you know, like, well, well, Claudius is killed. Uh, you know, Hamlet mm-hmm. gets killed and he is sort of a fuck boy. So he probably had a cubby as well, <laughs> you know, like, uh, yeah. Laertes mm-hmm. probably, I mean, honestly, he didn't really do that much bad stuff, but, but that, you know, it, it, it or, and, and also just this state, uh, you know, the state of Denmark, something is rotten in the state of Denmark that mm-hmm. Fortinbras's invasion, like the that like the bad state will like this the state in this state of the state of the the state in a condition of decay will ultimately collapse and it will be replaced by so if if it is unable to like sustain itself then it will be like replaced by this other like sort of power structure or something like that. Yeah, it's like it's like all of this like all the palace intrigue actually leaves a vacuum that that has to get filled by stuff that's like really like large scale like you know political scheming that's going on but yeah that's weird it just it just is i mean and they like also the the way that the way that ending happens is like also that um hamlet gets like i cordially invite you to a duel which is supposed to be a trap. And then, and then like Hamlet just kills everyone kind of like, cause he's already in the middle of it. So he's like, fuck it. I'll just kill everyone. Yeah. 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 (laughs) (laughs) So it's not like he brilliantly orchestrated this bloodbath at the end, you know, like, Oh oh, man. Yeah. Like in the the Pradon version, he flings his sword, like a, like an arrow across the hall and pins Polonius to the throne. (laughs) Like, Oh, oh god uh that's, 
that is not good. No, I mean, you know, but anyway, <laughs> yeah. Um, so no, th- this was this was fun. I like talking about drama. Uh, yeah, I do too. This is great. Do, 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 you, have, do, you, have, yeah. do you have some closing questions for for the two of us? <laughs> well, Tristan, you know, I just I got inspired. I'm a, I'm a woman of action, and um, I want to challenge you to a fucking duel. Uh, all right, down right here. Right now, we do duel. You've heard of dueling banjos. We're doing dueling hamlets. And you've set this up perfectly with the Branagh version, um, you know, because it seems just just dumb yeah. as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're going to do dueling hamlets. We can do it. We can just kind of just cage match them real fast. Um, <laughs> so, so, okay. So we're going to do Branagh v 2000 Ethan okay. Hawk. Hamlet. All right, let's do oh, we're it. Gonna, we're going to duke let's it do out. It. Okay. So so Hamlet Hamlet himself choose your fighter. And and, and the winner, the winning Hamlet, I just want to make this totally clear is the stupid okay, one. Okay, all right. Okay. All right, I'm feeling feeling pretty good about my my side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you this is this is setting this shit up for you. So so um why is Branagh uh the stupider Hamlet? I will say I, I do like uh, I do like Branagh's uh, Much Ado About Nothing, but because he plays Bennett, one Emma Thompson is, uh, is in that and she's amazing. But he plays Bennett, oh, yeah. who is kind of a dipshit asshole, and it's like this is a perfect character for you, dude. Play that guy, not the fucking like hero or like made lead, you know. But but a Hamlet might be the perfect choice for him. <laughs> yeah, 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 true. No, actually, true. Yeah. So we have Branagh's Hamlet from from your description he's yes. blonde as blonde he's as the day blonde. is long he's very blonde he has supernatural powers he can throw a sword and pin a man yeah. to the throne um he's so hamlet is 30 brana is <laughs> 46 years old that's why he's the perfect Hamlet, yeah. by the way because he thinks he should be doing yep. this shit you know at that age as i recall his costuming choices are a little nutty Velvet? Yeah. Well, he, okay. So he wears for much of it. He wears like the when addition, he's got a stupid goatee in addition to his like brilliant blonde That's dye right. job. But yeah, like he so he wears like this black like kind of very form fitting suit because you know KB is always very into in, into his physique, which he thinks is super impressive. Uh, oh. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> but yeah, he wears that for most of it. In the fencing scene, like they wear, like he and Laertes wear like this white, it looks almost like plastic, sort of like the Imperial Stormtroopers from Star Wars, like armor as the scene starts. And it's just. The fuck? But I also like. So, like, stylistically, I can't really determine whether it wants to be more Napoleonic Europe or, like, late 19th century Russian court kind of, like, Romanov sort of Europe. It's, it's, it's weird. It's not, it's not good. It's, it's bad, I would even say. <laughs> Venture to say no. it's bad. Um, a lot of choices there involving making no choices at all to cut anything. Um so two, so two, so against this, we have two thousand Hamlet, which is Ethan Hawke, obviously, and I've sort of described his main outfit, which is blazer, um, yellow sunglasses, mm-hmm. beanie, mm-hmm. Uh, walking around with yeah. a camera. He, um, he's an amateur filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, it's like it's not clear whether he is the son of a business tycoon or whether he is mm-hmm. a prince. 
maybe he's both, mm. you know? He looks filthy dirty the okay. whole time for no reason. Like, his nails are just yeah. are just dirty. Like, there's n- no plot reason for it. He doesn't do he doesn't do much. He fucks up the to be or not to be okay. speech. Actually, he says like the undiscovered country. He does it backwards. <laughs> uh, I can't remember what the fuck he says, but he he fucks uh, up like the key yeah. part, which is like you know you'll not you you, you go there, but you can't come back. And, and they just time. and they just didn't do it. Um, they didn't do a cut and and reshoot that scene. <laughs> well, I guess they couldn't get the blockbuster video again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, they do they do the duel on the yeah. rooftop. Um, yeah. A building rooftop where they're also yeah. wearing a lot of white. Yeah. It's very bloody. But I still think I want to give this. I feel like your Hamlet well, is here. Yeah, I, I know. I from I have not seen y- yours. Uh, but f- like one thing I like about your description, like the, the, the kind of dirtiness of it and stuff like like that's actually there have been a few like avant garde um, stagings of Hamlet fairly recently. Actually, I, I had a I had a student do a, a really good thesis on 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 that uh, a few years ago. And I think that that really does draw out like some interesting sort of like psychological structures in a way that like one reason why I think that like the Branagh version is not good at all is that it um it plays it so even like it's it's great sort of innovation is like hey what if we set this in 19th century europe and it's like okay cool like <laughs> great uh that but that's like right, you well. know the bare minimum you could do and otherwise it just plays it completely straight it does not do you know it's like oh it's uh like uh you know the scene where um where ophelia is trying is you know has been set to kind of spy on hamlet oh it turns out polonius and uh, and claudius are watching hamlet from behind a two-way mirror it's like okay cool that it, it's just i don't know it's like if you're gonna like ask an audience to spend four fucking hours watching this thing do something that hasn't been done in the centuries and centuries of like this this film this 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 play you know give them something this leads into another point of point of stupidity comparison which is you have the two-way mirror you have yeah. the two-way mirror trick to discover um and also like <laughs> just like screams at kate yes, winslet yeah. through that scene you know, he just like he's just like I'll do it <laughs> yes, louder, yeah. the loudest you can do it. Ethan Hawke plays it more interesting. He is doing that scene and he's going up behind Julia Stiles and giving her like a shoulder rub. He's like reaching into he's reaching into her into her um, spaghetti strap top to reveal a microphone. <laughs> like a tiny little a tiny little lab <laughs> mic is in there, <laughs> which is just like. Like, I don't think that's how, like, the fucking FBI does it, man. Like, I don't think they put, like, a little a little lapel mic on somebody and just, like, no, go to town. No, they don't. Um, that is dumb, but I think the two-way mirror one is dumber. I think it may be dumber because it's also – because it's less – it's less yeah, creative. It is. No, it is. That's the like, thing. It it's like it is not at all creative. Um, I remember way back in high school – like, so I was in high school when that – the the um, – is it Baz Luhrmann that did the Romeo and Juliet with with the kid? Okay. Yes. And like I had an English teacher who was so mad about that because like they weren't wearing like Elizabethan clothes. And I, I, I was only 14. I was like, wait, have you never heard of an adaptation of Shakespeare? Like you do know that this is what like directors of Shakespeare have been doing with this stuff for a long time. You know, like – and she was just like, no, it makes it a parody. And it's like, no, it doesn't. But <laughs> – 
No, it does no, it doesn't at all. It's dope as hell. They put everyone in Hawaiian shirts, right? Sword on all the guns, bada bing, bada boom. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But but so but I feel like that 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 like there's a way in which the Brad version is so like, hey, yeah, see, we we said it at a different time period. And look, Ke- Kenneth has 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 a blonde dye job, and it's like. And it's like, don't we get credit for? Oh, and look at this cast. We've got fucking Jack Lemon, Robin Williams makes a cameo. Like, look, look at the star power. It's like, yeah, cool, cool, cool. KB, you know. <laughs> Neato. <laughs> the thing I just was thinking about when yeah. with the hair is that he has the hair of like the member of a boy band who like no one wants to yes. fuck has that hair. Like there's always like the fi- there's always like the fourth or fifth favorite member of a boy no. band of everyone, and and, they and this have was ninety six. Like the Backstreet Boys were around, right? Was I think it was was it was it the blonde one that everyone was like, hey, we don't care about him. Ninety eight degrees. There's a blonde one that everyone <laughs> okay, forgets. So no, I think you're right. That boy band comparison, <laughs> yes, because it it was it is the mid nineties. It is definitely that era. So it's yeah. Ethan Hawke has decent, has decent head of hair yeah. throughout the whole oh. thing. There's no problems. <laughs> so. It looks like Kenneth Branagh, I think, in the game of Dueling Hamlets, the thing that, you know, the thing that upsets the the apple cart here is that we're, we uh, don't have the third Hamlet, which would definitely be the film from the 80s, which is like Hamlet 1987, back in business, where it's like the whole thing hinges on um, a rubber duck making factory. <laughs> I don't know this one at all. I had never heard of it, but apparently the 2000 movie references it. Because uh, okay. um, <laughs> she pulls a rubber ducky out at one point. And so that's how I found I, out uh, the, the one from the 80s, I, I think it's the 80s I remember, is the I think it's the Mel Gibson one that really, the main point I want you to draw from is like, look, this animosity that Hamlet has towards Gertrude, it's because he wants to bang her. Like... <laughs> It really, really <laughs> leads into that that sort of valence of the the incestuousness of of, of Hamlet. <laughs> I was telling you this uh, before we recorded, but th- there's a review of that that the only nice thing they could say about the Mel Gibson version was that it's very he gives a very physical performance. Mm-hmm. I'm just like in the sense that he has a human body. Like what what is a physical performance of Hamlet? <laughs> He's just uh, thinking. Yeah. Yeah, no, but I think that's right. Yeah, physical and that like, yeah, in case you missed the mother banging uh, implications here, you know, (laughs) yes, I I do. Yeah, I I think that's a fair, fair, fair description. But um, okay, so we've decided the KB is the is is the dumber, the dumber one. Yeah, it's the winner of the of dueling hamlets and and next next pod we'll do um we'll just say we'll just say fuck it we'll forget all about uh christmas carol and we'll just do dueling banjo so just bring a banjo (laughs) 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 well thank you katie that was that was delightful um you know we 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 miss megan but uh we're 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 holding we're holding down the the fort and uh very very excited to meet her uh her kid who hopefully is not uh named adrian uh, and has, you know, had, uh, has, has, has no relationship to that, uh, that episode. Yes. We, we miss Megan and we are very excited yes, for her. Also. Very, very much, very much. So, um, and again, she, she will be back. This is, uh, the, we're, we're just holding down the fort, uh, while she has a very small, uh, infant, <clears throat> which I know from experience, they, they require quite a lot of work. They're kind of jerks. I'm just going to say it. They're kind of jerks. Yeah. 
<laughs> but, well, they seem like no, it. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> no, definitely, Megan. We're we're very we're very excited to meet your kid. Okay, so uh, this has been better red than dead. You can find Megan on Twitter at Tuslersaurus. You can find Katie on Twitter at Katie Crywo. You can find me on Twitter at TJ Schweiger. You can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at Better Red Pod, spelled R E A D, and email us at betterredpodcast at gmail.com. But only if you want to share which Kenneth Branagh Shakespeare adaptation you think is the most unintentionally hilarious. Um, and you have a number to choose from. <laughs> <laughs> Our intro music is Lev Bronstein by the Redskins and used with their permission. Our logo was created by Jane Bonsack of JB Design and Content. Please rate, review us, and subscribe. Um, we still have gifts for reviewers, so send us those screenshots uh, if, if you do one, and we thank you for that. Next week will be our last episode of 2019, uh, A Christmas Carol for the Holidays. And Katie and I, and soon Megan, uh, will be back with you in the winter for our new season uh, when we'll be uh, kicking things off with I, Claudius. So thanks. Beauty, thy name is woman. Why, what an ass am I? Remorseless, treacherous, lecherous, kindless chicken! Oh, vengeance! You should not have believed me. I loved you not. Thou shalt not escape calumny. Or if thou wilt needs marry, marry a fool. For wise men know well enough what monsters you make of them. I have heard of your paintings well enough. God hath given you one face and you make yourselves another. You jig and amble and you lisp. You nickname God's creatures and make your wantonness your ignorance. Go, go, file no morals. It has made me mad. Hamlet, thou hast thy father much offended. Mother, you have my father much offended. Come, you answer with an idle tongue. Go, go, you question with a wicked tongue. Hamlet? What's the matter now? Got me? No, by the root, not so. You were the queen, your husband's brother's wife. And would you were not so, you are my mother. I loved Ophelia. Forty thousand brothers could not, with all their quantity of love, make up my son. What wilt thou do for her? Look you now, what followeth. Here is your husband. Like a mildewed ear, blasting his wholesome brother. Have you eyes? Could you on this fair mountain leave to feed and batten on this moor? Have you eyes? You cannot call it love. For at your age, the heyday in the blood is tame. It's humble and waits upon the judgment. And what judgment would step from this to this? Get thee to a nunnery.